Last week of our series, what do you really, really, really want? Because this world is a, it's just filled with things that we could want. There's so many things. Um, even as a little kid, we find out with the, with the Sears Christmas catalog, there are more things that I could want than I ever imagined. But I was only allowed to circle like four things, so that was always a problem. So we've moved from asking what do we want to what do we value. Right? What do we want is a dangerous question. It leads us into trouble. But what do we value? That, that, that just question all by itself slows us down just a little bit. Right? It kind of makes us ponder, okay, what am I about to do and what will be the consequences? Is the consequences something that I val- value? And we've all been besieged, deceived by what we naturally want, which isn't what we ultimately wanted. And maybe it was just that what you ultimately wanted just didn't happen fast enough, right? You, you wanted patience like right now. And God said, well, I got to give you kids first, right? So you know, this thing's going to take time. Um, I, I, sometimes I give it to you miraculously and other times you just got to work for it. Um, and I'll, I'll set it all up for you. That's the way God is really good about that. Um, so we, 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 we get tired of waiting um, because the things that are really important to us, they do, they take time. And the things that that we just want naturally. We found out that what we want naturally isn't always healthy, right? We look at nature and it's beautiful from far away, but you get up close, nature is scary and ugly and brutal. Um, Don't go with your natural inclination. I'll just say that right now. Your natural inclination will always be to serve yourself at somebody else's expense. Christ says, I want to change your nature. I want to take that sinful nature that's all about self and I want to give you my spirit. Right? When I give you my spirit, you're not going to struggle like you used to struggle. You're going to gain some victory over some of these issues that you're facing in your life. But here's what happens. We have these things that we ultimately want and we have to work towards. And yet the world is offering all this other stuff like right now. And they make it sound so good and so enticing. Like, I, I, I got I to have it. I got to have it right now. I got to have it now. And that's kind of part of our problem, right? We want everything now. Um, and here's what happens though. And maybe some of you have already discovered this. You move from season to season in your life from growing up to teenage years to young married to career, retirement, you move from season to season. And what happens, and again, some of you have already seen this, you lose opportunities. There are certain opportunities that only present themselves in certain seasons of life and they don't come back around unless you believe in reincarnation, which we don't. Just make sure you all get on that one. Okay. All right. Certain things and seasons, and and some of them can come back around. I've seen people come back and fix relationships with their kids. I've seen people go, come back and go back to school, right? They missed that the first time around. You know, there are things that you can go back to, but there are certain opportunities that are only going to present themselves one time. And unless you're prepared to think, ultimately, you're going to grab for naturally and for now. And those aren't the things that you really, truly value and that are truly, truly important to you. For example, some of you, I think, um, what you ultimately want and value, maybe you might not have thought about this before, but you ultimately, I'm just going to guess wildly here, you want to have the respect of your adult children. Right? Some of you are at a point where you already have that. Some of you are at a point where you should have that. You'd wanted to have that, but you didn't get it. 
right? You don't have that mature, great relationship with your adult children. I mean, can you imagine, again, some of you are at a point where you're looking into the future and how cool would it be that your adult children want to come and hang out with you even though they don't have to, right? They, they want to come hang out with you. This is something that we all, we all, this is something that, is, that this, we value, we value. Um, and what you do now will determine that eventuality for a lot of you. What you do now will either shut that door in the future or will open that door wide open. What you do now, you can't wait and do it then. It's too late then. The opportunity already passed by for you to develop that relationship with your adult children. No thing and no fling is worth that relationship that you want with your adult children. Got kind of quiet in here. <laughs> See, but that's the point. The things that we really want, they're not in our face, in our culture. They're lurking in the shadows. I've been kind of using that phrase, right? Our culture pushes the important things, the things that are valuable to us, pushes it to the periphery of our lives. We don't think in terms of later. We only think about what's in our face right now, right? What are folks driving? What is being advertised? What are folks doing on the weekend? But when we take the time to discover like with that funeral exercise, what it is that we truly value and we truly want in life, and we are far, far less prone to settle for what we merely want because we have that goal. Many of you might have seen this in your kids growing up. They were kind of aimless or whatever, and then maybe a coach, or they saw a program on TV, and something got a hold of your kid's imagination, and the trajectory just kind of zeroed in on something. Anybody ever see one of your children do that? Something just caught their imagination, and you're, you're stepping back, and you're explaining to your friends, like, I don't know. I, I can't explain it. I had nothing to do with me. They just, they saw this program. They met this person, and whew, they're off and running, and you're just like, whoa, that... Something happened, they experienced something, and it changed their perspective. And with a changed perspective, it changed the way they did their life, the way they ran their life. This brand new perspective showed them a whole different way of doing life, and they actually began to do life differently. And you noticed. You noticed. My parents, this happened to me. I was getting really good grades. And then they noticed, wow, he's bringing home all Fs. What, you know, what, what's going on with him? They kind of figured out I had seen... My dad in his drawer that I was smarter than average, and I decided I don't need to study anymore. I'll just take the test, and I'll just, well, I brought home a bunch of Fs. So um, that isn't really what my parents were interested in, what, not what they wanted at all, but that's what was in my face. It was the easy life. Here's the, here's the kicker. We're less prone to settle for what we merely want, but then we decide that we got an even better question what, than what we really want is what, what God really wants. We as followers of Jesus Christ, we got to step it up just a hair and not stop at what we want, but what God wants. Because if we arrive at that next level up, then we get to experience the joy, everything that we were singing about this morning. We become heirs. We become children of God. We get all of the blessings of heaven right now. We don't even need to wait for heaven. Right now. Right now. So what does God really want? And again, this is a scary question for a lot of folks. This is not a question that they like to hear because they think the question is, what does God want from me? That's the way they grew up, right? God wanted this. He wanted my money. He wanted my time. And he just, the, 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 the request never stopped. He's always asking from me, from me, from me. But then we ask the question, what kind of parent wants things from their kids? Right? That's, that's broken parenting. Most parents want things for their kids, 
right? They're doing everything in their life to give their things, their, their kids, maybe things that they couldn't have, they didn't get when they were kids, right? Good parents want things for, for their children. So what does God want for you? Is it something to shy away from? Something you need to run from? Like, oh, no, he's going to send me as a missionary to, right? That was what I was afraid of. I don't want to be a missionary. My little sister's a missionary in Mozambique. <laughs> um, so, no, no, it's nothing to be afraid of. Here's what God wants for us. This is in a letter from, from Paul that he wrote to the church at Galatia, the, the region of Galatia. He wants peace and self-control and goodness and joy and love and forbearance. This is what he wants for us. Literally, Paul is saying, look, if God had his way with you, right, if he just took away your free will and made you do exactly what he wanted you he made you obey every single one of his commandments this is where you would arrive this is a great place to be right these are all good things in your life and again we talked about last week a lot of you are like well that looks a little milk toast that looks weak and soft and and but nothing could be further from the truth right this this i can't imagine that a single person in this room that would not want to work in an office in which these were the rules of the office I can't think of any of your families where you would think, I hope that's not evident in my family, right? I know you want these things because you want these things for yourself. You want these things for the people you love. Again, I mentioned this last week. Some of you want to meet this person someday and marry them. So I know you want these things. These, these, are, these are very, very powerful, very, very ultimate kind of things. And the conclusion that you might not have thought about before is that what you want and what you value is not only what God wants and what God values, it's what you were created for. And more to the point, hit that next slide there, what you were created for, that's the perfect slide, don't go any further. What you were created for is connected to who you were created by. You were made in God's image. So it should come as no surprise that when we really dig into and then really spend the time discovering what we ultimately want and value, it's the same thing that God wants and values. The more we dig in, you are going to come face to face with God's will and you're going you're gonna to conclude, wow, his bucket list is the same as my bucket list. His bucket list for you is the same as your bucket list for yourself. He wants the same things you want because you were made in his image. Big surprise. But here's the flip side of the equation. And again, this is important whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or not, because everything I've been saying is good stuff, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, whether you've asked him into your life or not, this is just good stuff. This is just obvious stuff. But this next step, this is important again, whether you're a, a believer or not, this is simply the truth. And I think you'll recognize that the kingdom of this world cannot give you what you ultimately value. The kingdom of this world is not set up to give you what you ultimately value. And I'm not talking about conspiracy theories and men behind green curtains with levers or anything like that. What I'm talking about is this world is built on the idea of I'm going to have something that you want. I'm going to present it to you. I'm going to make it look really pretty and I'm going to ask some money for it. And we make it an exchange. That, that's kind of the world we live in. The world we live in. Um, constantly, all these these immediate wants, the now wants, the things that I want right now, right now, right now, all those things, that's what runs kind of are the economy of the world, your current now wants. In fact, the kingdom of this world is designed to distract you from what you actually want. And we, we, we all know this. We, we see this. Our world just isn't very helpful for your marriage. For an example... I see a lot of commercials on TV and not a whole lot of them are good for my marriage. 
I watch a lot of TV shows. Not a whole lot of them are good for my marriage. I see examples of people poorly married in a lot of my TV shows. They're funny. I watch them, you know, whatever. But we look at our world, and, and this world does not present to us the picture that we want to see in the mirror years down the road. It presents a radically different picture. And again, it's just the nature of the world we live in. It will rob you of you, what you truly, truly want. And here's why. The kingdom of this world is run by upgrades and experiences, right? That is what this world is equipped to give you. That is what you want. That's what the advertisers give you. That's the way our world is kind of run, upgrades and experiences, right? What's the next new car you're going to get? What's the next new house you're going to get? What's the next new clothes? What's the next design? What's the next style? What, what is next? And that somehow, somehow we bought into the idea that ah, I'll be a little bit happy, I'll, or I'll finally be happy, or I'll be a little bit happier. And at the end of that day, we're like, well, I got a new shirt and nothing's changed. I'm still standing here, right? Nothing really has changed all that much. Now, listen, there are upgrades and experiences aren't all bad, right? If you were living in the days of candles, light, and electricity comes down the pike, you're thinking, that's a good upgrade. I, electricity is a good thing. Now, there are some faiths in our world that said, nope, that's an upgrade that we don't want, Right? We look at Mennonites and Amish and, and they, the whole electricity thing. They said, no, no, we don't want. They, they, they're, I think they're wise at a certain level. They understand experiences and upgrades, the danger, the damage, that a life built around always getting the latest and the greatest, the newest, the improved. Right? Our laundry detergent, we got that much more at the top. It said, new and improved, you get this much more. Well, we paid for it, but sold my wife because they're sitting in our laundry room. Right? What you really, really want, such as the respect of your adult children, can't be packaged, marketed, or sold. That's just, all, that's just all there is to it. There's no clapping around the water cooler when you arrive and they say, Whoa, you didn't cheat on your wife this weekend. Good job. Right? That's not what they talk about around the water cooler. I don't want to get into what they talk about around the water cooler, but you know what they talk about. They don't, they don't applaud your good choices that you made that weekend. They want to talk about the choices that you made that weren't wise, because that's interesting, and it's usually pretty funny, because you usually made a mess of something. That's the talk around the water cooler. Latest ex vacation, the latest experience. And this is exactly what Jesus consistently points us away from. And if we follow him, we'll find that what you want and what God wants Nearly identical. So here's what you really, really want. Here's what you really... It's a question. As we move into a time of prayer, what do you really, really want? What do you value? What's important? We're going to move into a time of prayer right now. I kind of want you to focus on... I was given a book by a lovely young lady in our congregation here. Um, she told me, go home and read chapter 7. And I did. And in chapter 7, this book is talking about legacy. And it struck me, that this is what I want us to pray this morning. I, I want you right now during this next four or five minutes of prayer time, I, I want you to just to, to ask the Heavenly Father. And, and you've been thinking about this. I know you've been thinking about this. What have you arrived at? And I want you to present that request to your Heavenly Father here this morning. What ultimate thing are you looking for? I'll tell you what, my wife and I, our prayers, I'll just tell you what they are right now. I mean, there are five people we pray for besides you all. But we're really, really adamant about five people. Our two daughters, our two granddaughters, and our son-in-law. That's, that's on our mind. Now, let me tell you something. Before those two granddaughters arrived, my point of, 
My frame of reference of the world, and Diane just, just she just thinks this is the silliest thing. My point, my, my idea was that when, when all the kids are gone, when Amanda's grown up, Brittany's grown up, we don't got to mess with the kids anymore, and, and maybe Diane dies or something, we have weird conversations. I'm going to live in a cave. I'm going to live in a treehouse. I'm just, I'm just going to separate from the world entirely. That's just kind of my personality. I kind of like being alone. I kind of like be, people. But I, 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 and so guess what happened? I had two granddaughters. I tell you what, I'm never going to live in a cave. I'm never going to live in a treehouse because those two granddaughters changed everything. They changed my whole perspective on life. They, I mean, everything got rewired when those two little girls showed up. They changed everything. And this morning, what I'm going to talk about, we're going to come back from the time of prayer here. And I, what is it that's going to change everything in your world? What, what, would, what will it take for you to change your perspective, to begin to see things as God sees them, so that whatever you do, what your life looks like, what you do day in and day out radically changes? What is it in your life that will be the equivalent of my two granddaughters, spiritually speaking? So what I want you to do is I want you to focus on that thing right now. What is it? What is, what, what is your legacy I know for a fact that my great-grandfather, back in 1900, started praying for me. Not by name, but my great-grandfather was a Nazarene pastor, his son was a Nazarene pastor, and then his grandson was a Nazarene pastor. And I have a sneaking suspicion, I never heard them say it, but I have a sneaking suspicion that every one of those guys and, and moms and grandmas, they weren't praying for things and flings, they were praying for ultimate long-term things that would last generation to generation to generation. And we're now in the fourth generation. I'm the fourth generation. And I'm just absolutely tickled that somebody in my past decided to pray and want something greater than what they would experience. I have a feeling that my grandparents were praying for things that they wouldn't experience. They would be long gone but those are the things they prayed for. They were so ultimate and down the road, and they, I don't think they ever stopped. I know my, my wife's parents, they started praying for me the day she was born. That's why I'm so amazing. <laughs> that wasn't funny. That, but I, they, they never stopped. They, they prayed for something they might not see. They might not have been around when I arrived. I mean, that's, but they were praying for something that wasn't for them. It was down the road. And that's what I want to push you guys this morning. Just this time of prayer right now. What is it that God has been speaking to you about that's an ultimate want or a value in your life? And I want you just to focus on that this morning. Nothing immediate, nothing now. What is it that God wants you going, you know what? I, got, I need something 10, 15, 20, 30, 100 years down the road. And I need you to start praying for that right now. And I need you to start doing things right now for that eventual to happen. So what is it? Would you all just bow your heads right now? Father. Your Holy Spirit has been laying things on people's minds. You've been showing them ultimate things. Maybe things that they were afraid of. Maybe things that they, they felt like, I have no, I, no right to ask for that. But Lord, you impress upon them and you never let them off the hook. You keep pressing into us to pray for and seek things that are just past impossibility. But we know that the things that are impossible to us are possible to you. So Father, this morning, whatever it is in the lives of these people 
that, that's an ultimate want, that's a way down the road want, Father, that we would focus on that right now and that we would begin to do things to make that happen. Father, thank you for all of the people in our past on whose shoulders we stand. For me, my great-grandfather and my grandfather, my dad and my father-in-law, these are all shoulders I stand on. Um, They poured into the people after them in ways that they wouldn't experience much, but somebody else would, me. So, Father, I'm thankful for the people that went before me and that continue to pray for me. Father, what is it the... What's the legacy that you want us focusing on this morning? What is that one thing that you want us praying for that we might not get to experience the result, but there will be people in the future who will be thankful that we shot for the ultimate, not just for the immediate. Thank you, Father, for all these prayers that are going up right now. Thank you for the fact that you can understand them all, that you see through them all. You see the hurts and pains, the the bed that these prayers are growing out of. And Father, you, you see the answers to the prayer, but you also see lives changed so that they do produce beautiful things. It's not just a magic show that we did the hard work. You provided us with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father. Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you for your power and guidance in this. Draw us to great things, Spirit. Guide us to ask for incredible things way down the road. Thank you for what you're doing right now. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. So that was the introduction that you all just heard, just in case you're a visitor here, and this is the main part of the message. It's not going to be super long. We cut the thing in half. So I want to jump into some scripture. If you got your Bibles, if you got your iPhones, if you got your I don't know what you got, uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're just going to hang on to those two verses for like the next little while. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Rome. We don't know if he ever made it there. A lot of different evidence. Either way, I kind of lean toward he didn't quite make it there. But this is the power of the expanding Christian community this time. He was still alive. Christ hadn't been dead for more than 20, 25 years. And already there was a whole bunch of Christians all around the Mediterranean world. And there was a bunch of home churches in the city of Rome. And so he's writing this letter to them explaining things. And he starts out in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore. Now. Y'all know what that means. In Greek, that means you've missed a lot, right? If you start at this point and just start reading, you're going to be confused. You're going you're gonna to end up on the you're going to end up in the wrong place altogether. So, so what's the therefore driving at? Driving at um, the therefore is basically eleven straight chapters, eleven straight chapters of Paul exhaustively starting from the very beginning, and all he talks about is the mercies and graces of God. 
11 chapters, and he doesn't stop. He doesn't catch a breath. His sentences are like 12 miles long, and all he talks about is God was, was amazing here, and you were horrible. God was amazing here, but you were horrible. God was amazing here, but you guys, oh my goodness. But God was amazing, God was amazing, God was amazing. 11 straight chapters. Therefore, and this is so important, that you, that you hold on to those 11 chapters before this therefore. And you should be thankful I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on those 11 chapters. We'd be here all day. Therefore, therefore, right? Since God is for you, right? Since God is for you, not against you. For, since God wants something for you, not from you. 11 straight chapters of this ad nauseum. Therefore, since all of this is true, I urge you. I'm begging you. I can't say any words strong enough to impress upon you the importance of what I'm telling you right now. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, at that point, a lot of people have trouble, again, because the church they were raised in or maybe the way they, they heard it, it might not have been taught that way, but that's the way they heard it. I understand that happens a lot. <laughs> they say one thing, but we hear it a different way. Maybe you were a part of a church that said, in view of hell, in view of the punishment that you're going to get if you don't, in view of all this kind of stuff, but no, Paul doesn't go anywhere near any of that stuff for 11 straight chapters. Therefore, in view of God's mercies. And again, if you grew up with in view of fearful stuff, that's, that's not what you were intended to hear. I don't know if that was what was preached um, but, but you need to hear the, the truth here. In view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, in fact, in Romans chapter 2, you know, several chapters before this one, he says, God's kindness leads us to repentance. His kindness, not his scariness, not his immenseness, not his great, his kindness leads us to repentance. I urge you, therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, for most of us, right over the top of our head, this is like, oh yeah, yeah well, okay, I guess that's what we're supposed to do. But if you were an ancient Jewish or you were an ancient Roman, like this is a bloody sentence. This is a gory, gory sentence. This is a startling sentence. This is a, you've got to be kidding sentence. Because what Paul is saying is here is I want you to take your body and you've all seen this, not you all, hopefully not you all, but most people in the ancient world, they had seen animals sacrificed, blood pouring out on the altar. They, they had the smell, the sight, they had seen all that. And Paul's now saying, hey, hop up on the altar. The Jewish people and the Romans, they understood between what the chicken offered the farmer for breakfast and what the pig offered the farmer for breakfast, right? The chicken contributed something, but the pig, total sacrifice. So my question to you, are you a chicken this morning? Or would you rather be a pig? That metaphor fell apart very quickly. Oh, whoa. So don't be pigs, don't be chickens. Again, it seems, sounds so, so extreme, but literally Jesus is calling us to, to surrender, to literally write him a blank check. That's what this passage is saying. Write him a blank check with your life. Most people, hold on, need more information, right? Nobody writes blank checks. I learned that in 12th grade civics. Don't sign your name to a check because they... <laughs> Okay. 
blank check and people, every, every, we, we all ought to just kind of be stepping back going, whoa, 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 that doesn't sound very reasonable, doesn't sound very logical at all. But Paul argues, and this is crazy, he argues that it's actually the most rational, the most reasonable, and the most logical thing you can do. It says this, it says, this is your true and proper worship. Those are two, two words, they, they work all right, but in the Greek, there's only, there's, there's one word, it's called logikos. This is your logical worship. This isn't your illogical, this isn't your unreasonable, this isn't your, I'm afraid of that. This is, once you, did you read my 11 chapters before? If you had read my 11 chapters before, you would conclude that the only option now, the only logical, reasonable choice is to, offer, to get up there on that altar. Give him a blank check. He has the whole world in his hands and he's, he's ready to give it to you if you get up there on that altar. It's illogical and unreasonable not to give God that blank check. Spock was right. Check this out. I love this. For immediate wants, you may find that having is not so pleasing a thing after all as wanting it. It's illogical, but it's true. He's right about our immediate wants and needs. The want is always greater than the actual getting, right? You've all experienced that, the anticipation of getting that immediate. Oh, I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it, and then you get it, and it's broken by noon. But the opposite is true of eternal wants, of ultimate wants. Paul says the exact opposite. And then he says this, and here's the practical part, and here's the part some of you might not be that thrilled with, but I just kind of need you to hold on just a little bit because what Paul is suggesting doesn't have a whole lot of fireworks. It doesn't have a whole lot of um, Holy Spirit fire. What he's about to offer us is something so down to earth, some of us are just going to go, wait, 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 what? Watch this. He says this. Romans 12, chapter 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not continue to be conformed to the pattern of this world would be more accurate. And we've all seen patterns. This is very, very visual. We've seen blueprints. We've seen maps. We've seen sewing, cooking, you know, all these kind of things, these patterns. Um, Paul's saying that in our culture, there is a set way of doing things. And we've talked about that a little bit this morning. There is a set way that our world operates. And the way our world operates is not very helpful if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. It's just not very helpful because our world and our culture delivers the immediate. And Christ is saying, no, don't focus on the immediate, focus on the ultimate. And Paul's saying there's a certain way of doing things. And we know this, themes about this world says, don't be distracted by the upgrades and by the experiences. Don't be distracted by them. There's more to life that God has planned for you than simply the latest upgrade and the latest experience. And he continues, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Again, the Greek word, you probably figured this out, metamorpho, metamorphosis. It's a process. It's a change. It's not an instantaneous thing. We all want that so bad in our lives. I just want to get down on my knees and I want to have this habit gone. <sighs> right? I've told you this. I used to pray like that when I was a little kid because I was really, really trying to get some faith, right? I would, my job was vacuuming in the house and I would close my eyes and I would say, okay, when I, Lord, when I open them, the house will be vacuumed. And I would literally, I would literally hold my eyes shut for a long lengths of time thinking I got to give time, God time to do this because it takes me an hour, right? So keep your eyes closed a little longer, Jerry. Don't, <laughs> you know, whatever, no, no. It's a process. It's not something instantaneous. And again, we all want that miracle. 
And I believe, I've talked to people who got that miracle, but I've talked to more people who didn't get that miracle. And what they got was a long process in which God changed the way they thought. They, God changed what they focused on, and that made all the difference in the world. What's the process? How are we transformed? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And this is the, this is the part, this is like, really? By the renewing of your mind. What? You mean I need to study? I thought, I thought it was instantaneous. I thought, I thought, you know, miracles and things would happen. All of a sudden I'd be free of all my troubles and I wouldn't have any issues or habits. And, and I got to renew my mind. Listen, Paul knows that we can't just go out and change our behavior. He tried. Right? We've looked at that. He tried to be the perfect, perfect, perfect person. And he quickly discovered in Romans chapter 7 that he could not do it. Remember what he said? He said, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. I don't understand myself. I must be nuts. Literally, that's what he's saying. Nobody is that good. But what Paul is saying is don't focus on your behavior. Focus on what God is focused on. When you begin to see your marriage as God sees it, when you begin to see your money and your time and your talents as God sees them, when you begin to see your family as God sees your family, when you begin to see your profession as God sees your profession, your whole, your, everything will change. The way you run your life will change. And you won't be focusing on your behavior. You'll be focusing on a whole new vision, a whole new eventuality that you would like to see happen in your life, something ultimate and down there. And you'll begin to, nobody will have to tell you any longer, hey, if you want to have a great relationship with your adult children, stop dropping off at the bar on your way home from work. Stop hanging out with your buddies until 10 o'clock at night and your kids are in bed. Nobody will have to tell you that anymore. You will be home because what do you want? You want a, an adult relationship with your adult children. And already, and I know many of you are already thinking about that vision, and you're, trying, and you're already thinking, well, man, I do some things that aren't going to get me at that point. I need to stop doing, or I need to start doing. And you'll find it very easy to do because you have a whole new vision. You have a whole new purpose. God has, you're beginning to see through God's eyes. That will change your behavior. If you focus on your behavior, you're back to the Old Testament. You'll never get victory over it. You'll arrive every Saturday and you'll get it forgiven. You won't, it will never be taken care of. It'll just be covered. Can't see it like a little kid. Can't see it. Must not exist. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. You want to have victory. You want to have victory. Let me put it this way. New Testament imperatives, apart from New Testament thinking, result in short-term obedience and long-term frustration. Let me explain that. New Testament imperatives, do this, do that, do unto others, love each other, pray for each other. All those things that we're called to do that if we line them all up, there's not a person in this room wouldn't go, oh, I can't do all that. There's, there's so much to do, so much to do. New, par New Testament imperatives, apart from New Testament thinking, and this New Testament thinking, you have to renew your mind. Joyce Myers wrote a book, and it was huge, Battlefield of the Mind. And that was the point of that book. It all begins, it all ends right up here. I remember in college, I told a friend of mine, he was a straight-A student, I was a straight-D student. I said, I'm going to start getting straight-A's next quarter. Right? And he just laughed at me. He said, no, you, you can't just flip a coin. You just can't flip a switch like that, Jerry. You, 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 and I look at him going, how dare you? <laughs> but he was right. 
Because what my plan was was suddenly just to start getting A's, right? I didn't even think I would have to change my whole lifestyle, stop spending time in the water instead of going to class, right? Start studying the books instead of using them as paperweights. I mean, my whole life would have to change in order for me to get those A's. And Chris could clearly see I had no intention of changing any part of my life. So he quickly said, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You haven't changed your perspective at all. You just want something. But unless you change everything about your life, Jerry, you will never get... Well, so then I went and got married and I got my straight A's. So, whoo! <laughs> Again, this is why so many people left the church because they couldn't get the code down. They couldn't get the behavior down. I, I, they would say, I believe, I believe, I believe, but I just can't behave right. So I don't even want to go to church because that's where they're going to make me feel bad. They're going to remind me that I can't get a leg up on this thing. Short-term obedience, long-term frustration. Paul would have said it like this. You're not transformed by the commitment of your will. Did you catch that? You're not transformed by simply making a decision, I will. How many tried that? Raise your hand. And you failed? Yeah. yeah. I will. Uh, nope, I won't. <laughs> Next day, oh, I will. By noon, nope, I won't. <laughs> yeah, you've been there. He would say, you're not transformed by the commitment of your will, but by the renewing of your mind. You have to see the world differently. We commit our wills, but we never renew our minds. Again, the example of this, a lot of you are already still thinking about your adult children. You're already, wow, I need, I, I'm going to start or I'm going to stop. You've already made these crazy decisions where before it was, you know, it was a lost cause. It's a process. Paul uses the image of taking off the old and putting on the new. Taking off the old, what you naturally want, what you naturally want now, and putting on the new, what God ultimately wants for you. And then in the midst of this process, in the midst of this process of rejecting all the lies of our culture, and all those things are in the hiding in the shadows, you, you pulled them out and, and put them all in front of you. In this process, here's the payoff. Here's the payoff. This is amazing. Again, we're still in verse 2. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Test and approve. Basically, again, two words there in English. In, in Hebrew, it's to make a critical examination of, to discern the truth of. Then you will be able to determine the truth of what God's will is. Because there's a whole lot of rumors about what God's will is. Oh no, he's going to make me be a preacher. Ha! He might not. <laughs> he did on some of us. At least I didn't have to go to Africa. What is God's will, right? Is it something to run from? Test and approve what God's will is. Here's what God's will is. You ready for this? It's good. That means it's good for you. Why would you reject that? It's good for you. It's pleasing. Right? It's, it's a wonderful thing. It's going to do wonderful things for you. Right? It's fulfilling. It's satisfying. And then finally, perfect. We have a little bit of trouble that with our Christian world. We think nobody can be perfect. Really, what they're driving at is mature. Finally, you will be a mature believer. Right? You will have a, a grown-up understanding of what God wants in your life. It's good and it's pleasing. Again, shouldn't be a surprise because you were made in God's image. This should not be a surprise for any of us. But again, it's a process. It's not something that can be just tacked on. My buddy Chris realized I can't just tack on A's on, in my life. I need to change. I need to see life differently. I need to make some decisions. 
about my life. So one last time I'm going to ask this question. What do you really, really want? What's most important? What do you really, really, truly value? My guess is it's more than just upgrades and experiences. But you will need to be diligent. The stuff doesn't just happen automatically. But you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit. You've been given a whole new nature. Your sinful nature yanked out and replaced with the peace of Christ, the Spirit of Christ. We have everything. It's a victory that we can win. This is a battle that's winnable, right? I don't know about Green Bay today, but this one's a battle you can win. Sorry, I just had to throw that out there. Hey, listen, uh, Faith Promise is coming up on February 1st and February 2nd. Be praying about that. Because that might just be a part of this whole thing that we've been talking about. Maybe God is saying, you know what, this whole faith promise thing, this is going to be the mechanism by which you are going to grab hold of ultimate stuff. I'm going to make you think way into the future. This whole faith promise thing, you might not even be around to experience the result of this faith promise. But God is saying, hey, please, 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 look. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, don't just go for what's in front of you. Faith promise makes us look further on down the road. Bow your heads, Father. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for these amazing two packed little verses in which you just you lay it out for us. This is doable. This is winnable. But Father, we've got to do it your way. And you provided everything for us to gain victory. But we've got to commit to the process. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit that will be beside us every step of the way that you will never leave us or forsake us as we go on that journey toward wholeness, toward oneness with you, Father. Um, thank you for Paul. Thank you for his struggles. Thank you for his honesty and these, these letters that he wrote that we can, we can see ourselves in his letters. Uh, thank you for that. Um, thank you for your son, too, that we can look up to him not just not an example, but we can look up to him um, because he did what none of us could do. He made us whole. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.